0: Good job guys. I, um, when I was putting this together, I was like, I am real dumb because I did not know a chicken was warm-blooded. Also, I don't know why you learned that in second grade, but okay. Did anyone actually learn anything about chickens in second grade? I'm just curious. Did you say a little bit? No, I was in South America. Like, we just ate the chicken. (laughs) We just ate the chicken. We didn't worry about it too much. Alright guys, my name is Crystal. If you're new tonight, welcome to Women's Life, aka Dev Life. We're super glad you're here. We've been in this series um, by Rabbi Zechariah. This is going to be all... Think about how many times I'm going to trip on this stuff tonight if I don't move it. So it's happening. Um, We've been in this series by Rabbi Zechariah. It's a video series. And it's been good. It's been theology. And it's been um, apologetics. Talking about some deep things. But I just felt like... This week in particular, God was asking us to hit pause on that and to dive into some of the stuff we've been doing as a corporate body with Nehemiah. So tonight we're going to be looking at Nehemiah chapter 4 and I'm super, super excited about it. Um, but before I get into the Nehemiah, um, I want to tell you guys, I was watching this documentary um, this weekend about the flat earth movement. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? So there's this community of people that believe that the Earth is flat. And actually, will you pull that slide up? Uh Uh-huh. So... (laughs) I saw this on um, Facebook today, and I was like, that is hilarious. Um, So I'm going to give you guys a spoiler alert. The Earth is actually not flat. Just FYI. But they believe that basically the Earth is this flat like pancake, and the sun and the moon kind of revolve around the top of it. And I'm like, I was watching this documentary, you guys, and I was like, how and why? (laughs) But they are like all in. I mean, they have their own podcasts, and there's like this huge group of people. They even have people they call evangelists who go out. It's almost, it's weird. It's almost like a religion. Um, And so I was like, man, people really are desperate for community if we're at the point where we need to find other people who believe that Earth is flat in order to feel accepted and loved. I was like, man, community can happen anywhere, anytime. Like, humanity really loves other people who have the same ideas, belief systems, whatever, and we're going to build ourselves a little chunk of community around whatever crazy idea we have come up with. That's how I was like, well, flat earth, okay. Belief systems, okay, I I can get on board with that. And then I was thinking about, okay, for them it's almost like a religion, and it's almost like something that they would call a faith system. So for us, what does that look like? And I started to think about the church um, and what the church is like in the world today. And I have some stats for you guys. But before I do that, <clears throat> actually, I'm going to skip around a little bit. Poor <laughs> Chelsea's like, I got you. Um, I want to start talking about the church around the world because the American church, we just kind of We live in a little bit of a bubble, you guys, and we don't really understand what the church is like unless you've been outside the country, and you've seen the church operate in other countries, and you've seen that Jesus is the same whether you speak English or Russian or Hebrew or um, Spanish or whatever. And so I um, looked, and I saw that there were, in 2010, 1.8 billion Christians in the world in a 6.9 billion world population, which is about 30%. that was in 2010. And then I was looking at the Open Doors USA website, which is a website that tracks persecution around the world. And out of that 1.8 billion, there are 215 million Christians who experience persecution, like on a regular basis. And I thought, wow, that's a lot of people that are experiencing persecution. And then I found this really cool graphic that is um, up to date, I think it was last year, 2018 global Christianity, and you guys can kind of see how Christianity is spread out across the globe. Right now, Africa actually has the highest population of Christians in the world. Um, and it was just interesting to me. If you look at Asia, with its 388 million, and you look at North America, with its, like, almost 300 million, um, we're about, we're kind of in, I mean, Asia has a few more, because there's more people there, but we are kind of in the same range as far as how many people love Jesus and how many people are interacting with the church. And so I started to look up um, statistics of the Chinese church, and it was really interesting to me because if you guys don't know, the Chinese church is not legal in China, and so it's an underground church, except for a very few churches who operate out of the open. And in 2018, last last year, last December, there was um, a church called Early Rain Covenant Church, and... A hundred church members were arrested along with the pastor and his wife, and they were um, put in prison. So currently, right now, as I'm talking to you guys, Wang Yi and Jiang Bong. I hope I, saw, I totally does those names. It's okay. Um, they're both in prison right now, currently. And he's, this is something he wrote, this like manifesto, which I encourage you guys to read if you want to research early, what's called early main covenant church. He wrote this manifesto because he knew he was going to be arrested, and it's really powerful. But in it, he says, separate me from my wife and children, ruin my reputation, destroy my life and my family. The authorities are capable of doing all of these things. However, no one in this world can force me to renounce my faith. No one can make me change my life, and no one can raise me from the dead. Like, that's incredibly powerful. And there's an elder, and I'm not even trying to say his last name. His first name is Lee. Um, he also goes to Early Main Covenant Church, and he recently said, even if we are down to our last five members, worship and gatherings will go on because our faith is real. Like, it was so interesting to me because it started with this. <laughs> Wanting to do an intervention, and everybody who believes in the flat earth, and thinking, okay, these people really buy into this like a religion, and they are, like they go all out, like the flat earth like groups and Facebook groups and evangelists, like they are very intense about what they believe. And then I look at the church in China, and I was just had this question, like, where do I fall in that spectrum of belief systems? I have the same faith as this church in China. But, you know, what? honestly, sometimes my faith and the way that I live it out and walk out is a little less intense even than what these people who believe in the flat earth are doing. And I say that about me, guys, because I get distracted, I get tired, I get, like, worn out, and I, you know, don't want to talk about Jesus. And my faith, the flat earth people have me beat. So I've been asking myself this question, how much do I love Jesus? Like, really? There's another group of Christians. (laughs) They're called Coptic Christians. And they're a small, like, teeny-tiny community of Christians who live in Egypt. Um, And it's really interesting, if you do a little research on them, too, that's, like, my inner nerd again. But if you do some research on them, they um, are descended, or they were first um, colonized. What's the word? Someone help me. Yeah, evangelized, that's the word. Colonized, evangelized. But they were first um, told of the Gospel by Mark, the man who wrote the Gospel of Mark. He went to Alexandria in Egypt and he started this community of Christians there. And they have survived over the centuries. And so they traced their roots right straight back to him. And in 2015, there were 21 Coptic men who had gone to Libya to work. And they were beheaded by ISIS. But I think there's a picture of them walking. So there's 21 martyrs who were beheaded by ISIS, and it was a video, I'm not gonna show you guys a video, this is just really intense. But in the video, they die with the name of Jesus on their lips. And their their belief system is way different than ours, they're very orthodox, they're almost Catholic. Um, So in our Protestant non-denominational world in here, what we practice as far as how our faith is played out in our lives looks really different than how they worship. But you know what? They love Jesus. Um, I read this book called um, The 21, and it it goes into their history. It's written by a German author, and he went to where the the small village of Egypt where most of the 21 were from, and he started to ask their family and their bishops and their pastors, like, why, like, why are these guys willing to die for their faith? And he said, um, and one of the bishops in the village said, every Christian must have a cross a real cross and a symbolic cross. And every Christian must live the life of Jesus anew. And Christians in Egypt have always understood this. And so you guys, I have just been so challenged in my spirit because I've been asking God, like, Jesus, how much do I love you? How much do I really love you? In America, we're very insulated. It's almost like there's bubble no wrap. We don't have to deal with a lot of the things that other Christians around the world deal with. And so what does that do to us? So as we've been talking about Nehemiah, we open it up in chapter four, and Nehemiah is building a wall. And again, like, wanna be very clear, this is not a political statement at all. This is about building a community, and that's what this wall was. And so why is he building a wall? Because the wall protected the community. It was a place of commerce. when we're talking about a wall, we're not just talking about, like, a little, like, two to three foot span. It's like a 15-foot wall that you can walk on, that guards stand on. It protects everybody inside in the city. It's a boundary for those who are coming in and out of commerce. And without the wall, the community dissipates. So me and I had a mission. And his mission was to build the community of faith. That's what he was going for. That's what he wanted to do. He knew his mission was super, super clear. So in Nehemiah 4, he started the work on the walls. And he's super well into it. They're about halfway done. And then the trouble begins. So we're going to pick it up in verse 6. But first, let me pray. Jesus I... I just need your help. Like, I need your help tonight. I want to communicate what you want to communicate just well. Lord, I don't want to run in circles. I don't want to say anything that's not of you. Lord, bring your Holy Spirit. Bring Nehemiah to life for us. God, I just ask that you would take this room and fill it with with who you are and what you want for us. And that I would not get in the way of that. In your name, amen. So on your tables, as you start to read the scripture, it'll also be on the screen. Verse 6 says, so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all of their heart. And that's where they're at. They're about halfway done. So they're not just starting the work. They're not like, you know, a third of the way through. They're like halfway into This thing is really good and gotten, like, going. There's groups of people working, there's like goldsmiths and priests and families and everybody's taking a piece of the wall and they're building it all together and they're about halfway done. And then what happens? It says, but when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs of Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God, the host of the guard, day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said the strength of the laborers is getting out. And there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we'll be right there among them and we will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us, ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. So they're halfway through, and then all of a sudden, like, everything hits the fan, right? Do you guys know that when we start to do the work of God, everything will hit the fan? Has that ever happened in your life? It's happened in my life. Like, it's currently happening in my life, and it has happened before, and it will probably happen again. So there's three ways the opposition comes to you when you're doing what God's asked you to do. And I want to go through some of those. So the first one comes from an enemy. It's an external enemy. It's a violent threat. And we're talking about Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the people of Ashton. Basically, these were the Gentiles, the Gentile tribes living all around Jerusalem, living all around the Jewish people. They were the ones who wanted to war against them. They were pretty easy to spot as an enemy. It's not hard to see. You expect your enemy to come at you with opposition, right? So that's the external enemy. The second one is an internal enemy. What are the people in Judah saying? What are they saying? Let's read it again. It says, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is getting out and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. They're saying, we're tired. Like our strength is giving out. There's too much to do. This is too hard. This is too much. I don't think I want to do this anymore. And they start complaining. That's an internal threat. Number three is both internal and external. Let's read the last part of this this passage. It says, the Jews who lived near the enemies came and told us how many times over? Ten. Ten times over. So they didn't say it once. They said it several times. They said, wherever you turn, they will attack us. So now what they've done is they've taken the words of the enemy and they've started to repeat them to themselves and believe the lies of the enemy. And you have started fear, you started rumors, and what started as an external threat has become an internal threat because they are agreeing with the enemy. So Satan's not a creative genius, guys, and he doesn't have to be because we are pretty much the same in every generation. Like humankind, I don't care what century it is, I don't care what epic of like the world it is, We human beings always operate the same way. And so Satan does not have to be creative in how he attacks us. So what are the things that currently come against us as a church body? Can you guys relate to any of these? Because when the enemy is starting to attack me, it's not super hard for me to figure it out. Like, I can see it. It's external. I can see, okay, that's Satan. I know he's coming against me. It's a little more difficult for me sometimes to admit that there's an internal issue as well. Guys, I get tired. I get done with people. I don't know if you guys ever get done with people. I get done with people. I get like, I don't want to deal with their mess anymore. Why do I have to do this again? I get tired. And sometimes I'm just lazy, and honestly, I want to sit on my couch and watch Netflix documentaries about flat earthers and laugh. (laughs) Like, legit. (laughs) That's what I want to do. And then sometimes I repeat the enemy's lies to myself, and I agree with him instead of agreeing with God. And what's the end result, you guys? If internal and external things are all coming against me, and I start to agree with the enemy, the result is... I step back, and I quit. And the work and the mission doesn't get done. The community doesn't get built. What God has in mind for us doesn't happen. And Nehemiah could have done all of those things. He could have quit. But I want to look at what he did instead. So it says, after I looked these things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. Who is the Lord? Great and awesome. I want you guys to underline that. Or box it, or like circle it, put a star around it, like whatever you feel. Fight for your families, your sons and daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. And the officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. And Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. I want you guys to box and underline that They did their work with one hand and they held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So what the most incredibly important thing, there are two things, but the most incredibly important thing that Nehemiah did is, first of all, he remembered who God was. God is great and awesome. There is no need to be afraid of an enemy when we have a great and awesome God on our side. The second thing he did is he worked with one hand and guarded the work with the other. You guys, when we are doing the mission that God has called us to do, we need both hands. We can't just do the work when there's an enemy coming against us we also need to guard what we're doing. We need to guard our faith. We need to guard the mission. And y'all, we don't ever talk about that because it feels sometimes like, I don't know about y'all, but for me, it feels sometimes like it's easy to do the mission. It's not that hard. Like, if, if our mission, we're gonna to get to what our mission is right in a few minutes, but if our mission is to build our community, spoiler alert, it is. If our mission is to build our community, and that's what God has tasked us to do. It feels kind of easy in the U.S. of A. Like, I just have to put a little thing out, and be like, hey, we have a Bible study. Come on. And I don't put my weapon in my hand. And you guys, do you know how often I get discouraged? It's a lot. Because I'm not using both my hands. So... Nehemiah's mission didn't change when the opposition came up against him. God didn't say, hey actually JK, I don't want you to build the wall. why don't you guys like go have like a day you just go to the pool and chill and maybe strategize some other things you can do besides build the wall. God didn't change the mission when the opposition came up against him. And again Nehemiah's mission and our mission are the same. Jesus said there are two things that are most important. love God. Love your neighbor. When he left the earth, he said, Go and make disciples. And guys, what was the mission of Jesus? He came to the earth, he died, he gave us forgiveness for our sins, we get grace, we know all of that stuff, right? But what actually was the mission of Jesus? Why did he come? He came to build a community. He came to build the church. He came to bring people into his family and into communion with himself. That is our mission. That was his mission, that's our mission. We're supposed to love God, and we're supposed to build a community. So here's the deal, we have no time to be agreeing with the enemy. We have no time for it. We may not live in China where it's illegal to be a Christian. We may not live in Libya and in Africa where you could get killed for being a Christ follower. The biggest enemy of the church in the United States is apathy. It is. It's that we don't care. It's that I don't care. It's that we believe the lie that we don't have to care, and we put the weapon hand down. Sometimes, guys, I'm going to be real honest, and I'm going to tell you the truth about my heart. Sometimes I come to church and I want to be (coughs) entertained. Like, I want Jeremy to get up on the stage and tell me a funny story. I want to sing songs that I like. I want to come to a Bible study and feel, like, good about myself when I leave. I come to church sometimes to be entertained, and that isn't just the truth. But it's a truth that, like, I want to publicly repent of in front of you guys and invite you into that with me. Because it's not just people in Lynchburg, or people at Blue Ridge, it's people in the United States of America. We have built this celebrity culture in the church, and we want to be entertained. But does that build disciples? Does that build community? There's nothing wrong with a funny story or a good song, but those things should be things that help us Build people up Instead of being the thing that we look for Instead of people So Jesus Calls us Into a journey And that journey is to make disciples And to build community My journey is going to be way different than y'all's journey My gifts are different than your gifts Like Leslie's gifts are totally different than mine And her journey is going to look different But we need each other and Katie's gifts are different than ours, and her journey is gonna be different. But we need each other. When they built the wall, it wasn't like one group of people just going in a circle building the wall. It was several different groups of people and different gifts. And I think that's a beautiful picture of the body of Christ. We all need each other. We all need to work together to build this community, this family of Jesus. So we're gonna look at the last piece of scripture. Nehemiah 4, he ends the passage and he says, Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we're widely separated from each other. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So when the attacks came, when the things came, he said, use both of your hands to work. And then he said, work together. Like if somebody's getting attacked, let's circle that up. So if something is happening to Jessica, I'm gonna be on her team. We're gonna circle up. Because when the enemy gets one of us, he gets all of us, because we belong to each other. The second thing he did was he trusted God. That goes back to who is he? He is great and awesome. He trusted God that if he gave him a mission to do, that he would give him the ability to finish the mission. You guys, we need both of our hands. We need to be doing the work and we need to be guarding our faith. We need to kind of wake up a little bit. I need to wake up a little bit. It's easy for me to drift. But I think because we're super comfortable, it's easy to believe this idea that like God owes me something. There's... Um, look, some of you guys know my story and some of you don't, but I was not able to have children for a really long time. Um, and that was a dream that I felt like God had asked me to put down and to put away. And, you know, there was a whole lot of struggle that I won't, like, go into detail about tonight with that. But I came to peace with it and I said, okay, God, like, this is what you have for me. And then I felt like over the last year and a half, he brought an opportunity in my life to have a child again and then recently that opportunity ended, and so I've been grieving for the last like three days just grieving it and I think I've been thinking a lot about this talk and about you guys and what I felt like God was saying and I want to tell you guys something life is not fair God never ever has said that our lives are going to be fair whatever fair means to each of us We are called to follow Jesus and pick up a cross. That's not light, that's not fun. So you know what my job is now? To continue to love the child that he gave to me, even if she doesn't love me back right now. To continue to love the people in front of me when they are super annoying and I'm like, why are you doing that? to continue to instruct with patience, build disciples, build community. My life belongs to Christ. It doesn't belong to me. And so what I want to like ask you guys and invite you guys into tonight is that we can maybe all just kind of like shake it up a little bit, take both of our hands, and lean in. Because you know what? The suicide rates are climbing. We're comfortable, but we're not happy in the United States of America. And Jesus is hope. We have hope, you guys. We have a family. We have something to look forward to. And I wanna invite us to bring that to the table for the people around us who don't know that, who don't know Jesus, or who have been like burned by the church and are done with it. So you guys have some questions. And it is seven, it's almost eight. Somebody give us about 20 minutes, 25 minutes to answer these. Here are the questions. What do you guys think about the mission of the church? Have you ever thought that through? Has it ever been like relatable in your life? Do you feel like you're part of the mission? And If you don't feel like you are, that's okay. Like don't, please don't try and like make it till you make it. <laughs> let's, let's talk about the real stuff. If you do know that you have a mission, how are you engaging with that? And is there a place in your life where you need to pick up the weapon hand? Here's here's something I want to give you guys like a category for. What are our weapons, right? Our weapons are the scripture. Our weapons are prayer, calling out to God. What did Nehemiah do? He remembered who God was and then he said, God is going to go with us and he cried out to him. What's another weapon that we have? Unity. Unity. Yes, he goes. Yeah, he said, let's call the community together. We have a huge weapon in our hand, and it's each other. So is there a place in your life you need to use both hands right now? I'm going to give you guys um, your 25 minutes, and then we'll come back up and we'll do some more